Matthew 13, and uh, we're just going to start off by reading a parable. And for those that aren't familiar with what a parable uh, is, um, a parable was a, a likeness or a similitude that was spoken uh, of a, a situation that uh, perhaps in most cases didn't really happen, and uh, but it was to highlight a particular spiritual truth or, or some uh, moral aspect or something like that. Uh, and so it was a story that uh, was made up to illustrate a point. And uh, there are a number of parables spoken uh, by Jesus uh, as he came to this earth, and a number of them started off with, the kingdom of heaven is like. In fact, I think in uh, this chapter alone, there are seven parables spoken where there's a likeness given to that would make people think then at that time, and of course us in our time, think about the kingdom of heaven. And uh, we're going to read here in verse, um, perhaps verse 45, just a couple of verses here. Jesus talking to his disciples and to anyone else who would listen there, of course, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. He bought that pearl. And I'd like to consider this parable about this merchant and this pearl of great price. And bearing in mind it's a, a symbolism there, and it's, it doesn't take much to really to, to, to understand what the Lord is getting at in this uh, uh, parable here. He's talking of someone who seeks out something which is really valuable to him. And he started off by talking about the kingdom of heaven. This is the story of someone who might uh, uh, be searching uh, and, and seeking as we read about the man there, and he eventually finds the kingdom of heaven. And uh, 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 the, the gospel of Jesus Christ comes to life in the light of that person there. And uh, we, uh, uh, I thought today we might look at this uh, merchant and particularly that r- remind ourselves here that there are four things that he did. And we can see the path to salvation in that. Firstly, he sought, then he found, and then he sold everything, and then he bought. He, he purchased what he was looking for there. And just bearing in mind here that we're wanting to see in this merchant a type of you and I. He, he represents those that are searching for the kingdom of heaven. He's looking, he's a pearl dealer. He's a pearl hunter. And he's looking for that great pearl of, uh, the pearl of great price there. And he relentlessly looks and searches for that, uh, that, uh, that pearl as perhaps you and I that are now filled with the Holy Spirit are represented by him as people that uh, sought out the gospel. Now we may think that we didn't. We may think that our lifestyle was such that we weren't really seeking. We weren't really looking. Perhaps uh, we hear testimonies of people that come from all different backgrounds, uh, uh, perhaps uh, of taking drugs, uh, of alcohol abuse, of uh, of trying different religions, uh, and uh, uh, perhaps being drawn to an unknown God, a God that we don't know, but we know something is out there. We think of the story in Acts chapter 17 in Athens there with Paul uh, when he went to, uh, to uh, Mars Hill and so on, the unknown God. But every one of us here this day that is filled with the Holy Ghost, that is going on with the Lord, I believe is represented in this parable by this merchant. 
and uh, uh, how that he sought so he could buy when he had found. So let's go back to, uh, we'll go back to Mark chapter 1 and just see an illustration of, of perhaps this parable and what it may represent to us. Forward, sorry, to uh, uh, Mark chapter 1. And in this early part of the Gospels, uh, uh, in uh, the Gospel of Mark, we read about the calling of the disciples. And there's no indication that these people were seeking or searching the ones that we're going to read of four particular people here at this time. But the immediately that they came in contact with Jesus, Jesus called them and they came. Immediately that happened there. So even though they might not have been outwardly searching and outwardly looking, perhaps deep within them there, they were questioning. They were asking, what's life all about? What is, is this it? That you were, uh, uh, you know, you go through your life. Uh, uh, we heard uh, uh, down at the Vogue, uh, uh, the, uh, a young fellow gave a, a testimony there, and he, even he was, uh, he said, uh, uh, even before he turned twenty, he began to to question: Is this it? That you were, uh, uh, you, you're born, you go to school, you leave school, you, you meet a girl, you get married, you have kids, then you die. Is that it? And I was able to point out to him: No, there's more to it than that. You got to get a mortgage as well. Oh no. Um, <laughs> Anyway, uh, yeah, so uh, of course that's what the people go through life and, and is this it? Is this all, is this all that it's about there? Is there, is there more to it there? And maybe if they've got a, some sort of church background, they might think to themselves, what about that book about miracles? Where's that? How does that work? What's happening today in that field there, of course? We think about uh, Nathaniel when he was sitting under the tree there. And the Lord said, I, I knew you when you were sitting under a tree. I knew you then. Now, we, that means nothing to us, of course, but to Nathaniel, it meant everything. My Lord and my God, he said. When I was sitting under that tree, there was obviously something going on in my mind that God knew. Only God knew. And so we, we read here about four men who were going about their everyday life and they came face to face with the pearl of great price, the unimaginable riches of the kingdom of God. We read in verse 16, Mark chapter 1, verse 16. Now as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew his Peter casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets, and they followed him. And when he had gone a little further thence, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the ship, mending their nets. And straightway he called unto them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants, and they went after him. Now we read here about four people who heard. Maybe they didn't recognize they were seeking the pearl of great price. But we hear over and over in our meetings, don't we, of people that come from different backgrounds. You know, it's a, it's a, an amazing thing really that we, we hear all sorts of testimonies here of people that come perhaps uh, uh, through somebody at work or a family member or uh, uh, maybe uh, uh, the parents of a, uh, the kids at your, your kids' kindy or something or, or maybe at school or, or a leaflet in the street. The Lord seems to work through ordinary situations. I was just thinking about it. I don't think I've ever heard a testimony 
of somebody coming to the Lord after passing a course at theological college. I've never, I've been in the Lord over 40 years and I've never heard that. But you hear everything else about all manner of other situations of everyday life. And what these people heard here, it transformed their lives. In fact, we read a couple of words I'd like to have a look at there. In verse 18, and uh, firstly, they forsook all. And in verse 20, it says there, they left. They left their nets and they left uh, uh, their father and so on. And they followed this Christ that they had just met. And what an adventure it turned out to be. You can have a read there of, uh, 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 later even down in the, uh, same chapter there, uh, it says, it talks there in verse 32 about people that were diseased and people that were pes- possessed with devils and so on and, uh, uh, the city, uh, all being gathered together and so on at the door and, uh, and he healed them. What that would have meant to those people, having just come to the Lord to see all that happening to this person that they just started to follow. It would have been amazing, would have been astonishing there. So even though they may outwardly have not looked like they were seeking, they were in their own way. They were seeking and they found and they sold all so that they might have this treasure. They might take hold of this treasure and never, ever let it go. You know, the Bible talks about you and I that are filled with the Holy Ghost and gives us lots of times when we should remember various things. One of the things that the Lord says we should remember in the book of Hebrews is you remember back to the time when you were enlightened. Remember what that was like. Remember how you found what your heart was looking for when you were filled with the Holy Spirit. And it does us good to do that. I believe that's a, maybe a particularly a thing that we should do at our communion time. That should, we should remember certainly the Son of God and all that He went through. But we should remember the time that He became real in our life that he transformed our thinking, that he changed us, and that we no longer had this desperation of a search. I know I speak from my own point of view there, a desperation within of not knowing the truth, of knowing that there was a truth there somewhere and not knowing what it was or where it was. Remember the times when you were enlightened. Remember the time when you found something that was worth selling everything for. Selling your life, everything about it for. I'd like to quote uh, that passage that we uh, uh, just read there, uh, verse 16 to 20, uh, from the Amplified Version. You can probably follow on in the uh, King James Version there, but I'll, uh, I'll just read it from the Amplified Version there. And it says in verse 16, And passing along the shore of, uh, of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon Peter and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net to and fro into the sea, for they were fishermen. Verse 17 says, And Jesus said to them, Come after me and be my disciples, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And in verse 18 it says, And and at once they left their nets, at once they left their nets, and, and then in brackets it says, Yielding up all claim to them. Yielding up all claim to their nets and to that business they followed him, joining him and as disciples and siding with his party. And he went a little, verse 19, and he went a little further and he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother who were in their boat putting their nets in order. In verse 20, and immediately he called out to them and, and then it says, and abandoning, instead of forsook, it says, abandoning all mutual claims. They left their father, Zebedee, in the boat 
with the hired men and went off after him to be his disciples and to side with his party and to follow him. So these two words here that are uh, highlighted, that I particularly like to highlight here in verse 18 and verse 20 there, forsook and left. It's actually the same Greek word. And it seems to come from another Greek word which means a, a separation or a completion. But in this word that's used here, it actually does have a connotation of abandoning all claims. Abandoning all that is tied up in the current business situation. In other words, they, they, they took hold of this pearl of great price and they got rid of everything. They, they turned their back on, on all that their life was at that time. In the fishing, in the business, in their commitments as it were and, and all of that sort of thing there. And they went to follow the Lord. And so it is with everyone who's done that journey, who's made that journey to follow the Lord. You turn your back on what you were. In every age, it's been like that. We think about Ruth, about the time when uh, she said those words to Naomi there, where you go, I will go. There was no turning from that. Where you go, I will go. And she turned her back on all that she knew. She set out on a journey that was only going outwardly to one place. That was uncertainty and the unknown. But she knew, deep down, somehow or other, she knew that there was hope there and that there was a, a place as the, the Bible describes, as she said there, under the wings of the Almighty, that she would find shelter there. We think about Abraham, again, journeying into the unknown when he was initially called and uh, made his way uh, to the land of Canaan there, not knowing whither he went, the Scripture says. We think about Moses, who turned his back on on the royal world of the Pharaoh. He was going to be in the royal household for all his days if he wanted to be. But the Bible says he turned his back on that. In fact, quoting from Hebrews 11, it says, choosing to suffer the affliction with the people of God rather than that life, esteeming Christ a greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. He esteemed Christ greater than any riches that there could be on this earth. And these people are people that, that sold all so that they might buy, in effect, the things of God. Why? Because it's worth it. That's why. No matter what the cost of the bar, uh, of the, uh, the, 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 the purchase there, it's a bargain. No matter how much it costs you to come to the Lord, it's a bargain. I can guarantee you that in a million years' time, you won't remember what you had to give up to come to the Lord. You won't remember anything like that. Without Christ, then, of course, we have nothing. The Bible says that we have in Christ, we have light. Of course, we, we have no Christ, then we have no light. The Bible says of Christ that he's our joy. Well, we will never really know joy if we don't have Christ. He's our peace, the Bible says. Well, we'll certainly never know peace if we don't know Christ. The Bible also says he's our life. And we've got no life if we've got no Christ. And uh, uh, that's uh, the, the truth of the matter there. So we sell or we get rid of all that we had. And for most of us, it, you look back and you think, well, what a joy it was to be rid of those things. We've heard testified of gambling and smoking and drinking and, and so on uh, here today. 
Our addictions, our, our self-righteousnesses, our, our religion, our hypocrisy, our prejudices, our fears, our, our anxieties and so on. We sell them so that we might buy the pearl of great price there. Praise the Lord. I remember the night that I heard the gospel. And I can remember distinctly thinking, all my life I've been waiting to hear this. All my life, this is what I've been looking for. And of course, there's a certain amount of fear comes with that because suddenly you realize everything's going to have to change here. My life is going to have to change here. My life that I live now is not the life that someone who believes in Christ is, is going to live. And that can be a scary thing. It's a step into the unknown there. But hallelujah, as we sell all, we purchase the pearl of great price. And it's a, there's a number of things we can make about the uh, points we can make about the purchase there. It's a joyful purchase. You can imagine that this merchant, he suddenly found, he was a, he was a pearl hunter. He looked for pearls and he suddenly found this pearl of great price. The one which was beyond valuing. It was, it was worth far more than that. What a joy. He would have been jumping up and down for joy because he found it there. And it was an enriching uh, purchase as well. Um, he was so much better off after he bought it because he had this pearl that was of great price. Hallelujah. You never lose with Christ. You never lose if you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, even if we go through dark and difficult times after we're converted, you're always better off being Spirit-filled than not. Always, always, always better off with the Holy Spirit dwelling within you than not dwelling within you. And, uh, and hallelujah. Uh, well, we, we perhaps think it was also about that man there. It was a final purchase. We don't read about him in the parable there going looking for any other pearls after that. He became an ex-pearl hunter. And so it is for you and I. We stop looking for the kingdom of God when we find Christ. When we find the Holy Ghost experience. No more searching. No more thirsting. And uh, the great transaction's done there, and uh, and of course we never want it to be undone. So that's the parable, perhaps, and uh, uh, what uh, outwardly it would mean to us there. It's a story about somebody seeking the truth and finding it and giving up all that they might buy it. And of course it's a likeness to our valuing uh, and loving uh, our relationship with God and uh, and the kingdom of heaven that's yet to come and so on, and putting that above all else and never letting go. In fact, the scripture talks about buying the truth and selling it not. Maybe that ties in with this parable here. But uh, it's worth noting there that in uh, Matthew chapter uh, uh, 13, there where we started, I just quoted, it starts off by saying, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hidden afield, and so on and so on there. It's about the kingdom of heaven. Now, the kingdom of heaven is not really about what we do. We've considered all the things that we do to gain into the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven really is about what God does and about how that he takes a particular course of action. And while the likenesses that we've gone through are, are true and uh, and it's a wonderful thing that we can gain inspiration from, I believe that we can actually turn the tables around a bit there and think about the opposite of all of this. And then maybe we can see instead of the merchant being a representation of us searching for the the pearl of great price being the truth, maybe in this story we can see that the, the merchant is also a type of God. There's another likeness there. And how that he seeks out what he considers to be great of great value. 
and that's your soul and my soul. And so we can see that that God, uh, as we know that our relationship with God, that he sought and he found and he, he sold all or gave up all so that he might buy. That's the gospel message for you and I. He sought us, he found us, he gave up all for us that he might buy us. That's the story of the gospel there. We'll go back to Isaiah 59. At the top of the page in my Bible here it says, this is a catalogue of the sins of the Jews. Well, I suppose that's true. It talks about the the shortcomings of, of the nation of Israel and particularly of Judah at this time. But it's more than that. I believe it's a catalogue of the sins of mankind. It's a summary of maybe every heart that uh, has ever existed that was against God. And it's summarized uh, perhaps in verses, uh, I think, 9 and 10. It talks about how blind mankind is and how that they grope for the wall and they can find no answer. We walk in darkness, the last part of verse 9 there. And uh, it's a picture of of all of the, the things of this world. Perhaps in verse 14 we read, And judgment is turned away backward, and justice stands afar off. Think about what you see on your news as you're reading this. This is a, a, like a picture of the world. Judgment is turned away backward, and justice stands afar off. For truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. Yea, truth faileth, and he that departs from evil makes himself a prey, or in the margin it says is considered mad. If you try and depart from evil, they'll think you're crazy. If you try and uh, uh, follow the Lord, oh, he's gone all religious. He's a nutter or whatever. That's the way the world views it there. And so we get this picture here. It's like a, you know, I was thinking about it, it's like a selfie. You know, you see those pictures of selfies where people hold the camera out and they, they click the, their phone out and they click it and, and, and always, you see a bit of the arm sometimes, but you also see um, somebody, something else or somebody else there because they want to take a picture of something really good. And so they take a picture of them standing next to someone famous or some famous landmark or some beautiful scene or something like that. And so they'll take a picture of that. And this is like a selfie of the world. Holding up that the, the world is taking a picture of itself there. The only thing is it's not so beautiful. It's not so wonderful. It's not a lovely picture that we see if we look at what mankind is like. We see a picture of hate and of envy of loneliness and fear and rebellion and fighting and vanity and lives. And maybe in the distance, as you look at that selfie, you can see a little grave because that's the end of it all. That's the end of a, I think as Pastor Darrell used to say, if you live long enough, you'll die. And so it is. It's the future of every one of us as mankind. And then, but we, we, we stop reading halfway through verse 15 there. It says, he that departs from evil makes himself a prey. And then we read, and the Lord saw it. God saw that. He saw the state of man. He saw what they were going through. He saw what they were like. He saw the heart of man. And it displeased him that there was no judgment. And he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor, no one to to, to intercede there and to change this situation, to change the hearts of people. There was no way that they could be changed of themselves. Therefore, his arm 
brought salvation unto him. He did something about it. Because nobody else could, God did something about it. His arm brought salvation unto him, and his righteousness, it sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate, and then as a helmet of salvation upon his head. And he put on the garment of vengeance for clothing, and was clad with zeal as a cloak. And we go on to read there, of how that uh, in verse uh, 19 uh, about people coming to uh, fearing the Lord and so on and it talks about when the enemy comes in the, uh, like a flood halfway through the verse there the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him and then it talks about the redeemer Christ coming into Zion and so we're reading here about God who saw and did he did something what was he doing he was seeking out something that meant something to him He was seeking out what turned out to be a pearl of great price, like the merchant. He went looking and he found. He became a man, the Bible says, for you and I. We might go to uh, back to chapter 9 of the book of Isaiah. In Philippians we read of how that Christ was glorified because he stooped so low, according to the amplified version of the Bible there because he exchanged his heavenly calling and his heavenly crown for what turned out to be a crown of thorns upon this earth. How that he gave up his royal robes and took on the clothing that you and I wear, that's flesh and blood. And he exchanged his life, the Bible says, for the death of the cross. And we read here a prophecy of the coming of Christ in verse 6. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. Now, if we just read that uh, uh, as it is, as, uh, that's what we're going to do here. We won't go any further in that verse there. There's a word in the English language called a tautology, which you may have heard before. It means to say the same thing twice, but using different words. For example, if you say... Uh, well, retrospectively looking back, you're actually saying the same thing because retrospectively means looking back. And so you're saying the, the, the same thing but using different words there in the sentence. And on the surface of it, this may seem to be a tautology. It's saying the same thing in both parts of what we just read there. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Sounds like the same thing. Child being born, a son being given, but it's not. The word that's used here for born, for unto us a child is born, is the Hebrew word yilad, which is probably not pronounced correctly, but uh, that'll do for the moment here. And it literally means something born through the natural process. Uh, And it lists a a child, fruit, a, a young person. You're born in the natural way, which in itself is quite an amazing thing when you think about it here. This is a prophecy of the coming of the Savior. Often... We read how that they were expecting a great warrior to come. But the Bible says it wasn't going to be like that. It was going to be as a a child being born. That that was the way that God was going to do it there. And of course we know that that was fulfilled when Jesus was born as a child, as a babe. And and then of course uh, growing up into uh, become a man and so on there. But the word that's used there for given is a different word. Unto us a son is given. The word is Nathan or Northen, uh, it seems to be pronounced there. And I think that's where they get the name Nathan from. 
And I just quite, I, I had a look at the, uh, uh, the Strong's Concordance for that word and it goes on for pages of what the meaning of that word is. And it's summarized in the uh, initial part of, of the explanation of it. It says it is a primitive, uh, it is a word with a primitive root, which means to give, used with the greatest latitude of application. In other words, every single thing that you can think about the word give is summarized in this word. Every point of giving that is known to mankind is summarized in this word. And it lists a whole, like I say, a lot of them there. I just picked out a few of them. It means to bestow, bestow, to entrust with a mission, to come, to make a commitment by, to cry, to deliver up, to do. It means to be, uh, to be given without fail, to fasten to the task at hand. It means to get, to give, uh, to uh, grant, to hang up, to have. And then it also says it means to lift up. And then, of course, it says uh, to pay or to perform or to recompense. That is to pay back, to pay for or make amends for. It means to slander, to be stricken, to be, uh, to be in submission, to suffer. And the last one that comes up in that great long list that goes on forever is to yield or to surrender. Unto us, a son is surrendered is quite a, a, an appropriate translation of that word, as well as all of the others, as a, re, a redemption, as a ransom, as a paying back, as a making amends for, as he was slandered and stricken and submitted and suffered. It's all tied up in what this world means, uh, word means there, as a payment. The Bible says we're not redeemed with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of the Son of God. Not with a a natural payment there, but with a heavenly one. And to yield, to surrender. God surrendered His Son. He gave up His Son. The Bible says, And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. As He hung upon that cross. It's a total, absolute giving of everything that was summarized here. The first part of that phrase talks about his birth. The second part is all about his life and particularly his death and what that means, the giving of Christ to mankind. The Bible says that he was not just that he became a sinner for us, but the Bible says that he was made sin for us. That's quite a, quite a, a step that he took there at that time. Probably as uh, sinners, I don't know whether I can I'll probably speak for myself and probably speak for everybody else here, that we know what it's like to sin. We know what it's like to feel guilty, to feel ashamed, and to want to hide what we've done. We know what that's like as human beings. Jesus never knew that at all until the time that he hung on the cross and all of that came upon him. What a horror it must have been for him. At that time, I think we read in the book of Genesis about Abraham and there was a time when a horror of darkness came upon him at night. I think he was asleep at the time there and he had this particular dream of a horror of darkness. Well, he was fortunate he could wake up. Jesus didn't. The horror of sin came upon him and he bore it to death. 
as the scripture says there. He bore our griefs and our sorrows, the Bible says, carried our sorrows. Why was that? So that we don't have to bear our grief and carry our sorrows. Somebody has to. It's either us or him. And he did it. He chose to do it. The Bible says he was wounded. That word could also be translated in Isaiah 53, tormented for our transgressions. He was tormented for our transgressions. Why? So that we don't have to be tormented by our transgressions. Because he's paid for us that he might buy a pearl of great price. And there's a a wonderful, we'll go back to Isaiah 59 there. In fact, we won't. We'll go to Isaiah 60, which is uh, following on. You may have noticed that. If you're an avid Bible scholar, you may have noticed things like Isaiah 59 is immediately followed by Isaiah 60. Um, But in in Isaiah 59, we get a picture of, of mankind being imprisoned, of you and I being imprisoned. And maybe we can just think about what that may mean as this was written here at this time. You know, a prison perhaps in those times is not a pretty place. And uh, imagine yourself uh, in that position there. You've done something wrong and now you're going to pay the cost for it there and uh, the door slams shut on you. And it's darkness within that prison cell. It's a dark and dank and foul place that you're suddenly in and you suddenly realise this is going to be for a long time. How am I going to survive this or whatever? You've got no hope of release. No hope of any way out there. And after a while, all of a sudden, the door swings open there and there's a light shines in and you hear a voice that says, I've paid your freedom. Up we get. Let's get out of here. That's what it's like to come to the Lord. That's what it's like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. As we read there, or we didn't read, but we quoted there in verse 19 of the previous chapter there, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. You want to know what it's like to be filled with the Holy Ghost? It's liberty. It's freedom. It's being raised up. It's having the the door of your prison cell opened and flung open. And the Lord's saying to you, let's get out of here. Enough is enough. Let's get out of here. And so we, we go on to read there of what, uh, uh, what that means then. We go on to read the, the next chapter there. The first two words there, arise and shine. That's what the Lord saying to you and I now that, that we're, we're in prison now. As he takes us by the hand and lifts us up now, let's get out of here. Let's arise and shine for thy light is come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. And as you go through the next chapter there, it's such a contrast to the previous chapter. Because it's talking now about life with Christ leading you and, and guiding you and so on. And, uh, and it talks about, uh, uh, though you might be cast down and so on, that the Lord will lift you up and the Gentiles shall come and see your light and, and kings uh, to the brightness of thy rising and so on. All of these things are, are representative of what it is like when the Lord finds that pearl of great price that you and I and purchases him, sells all that he might purchase us, praise the Lord. Let's go uh, back, uh, we'll just uh, perhaps just finish off in Isaiah 53. Just in closing, just a thought that perhaps that we may struggle with the thought of, of the Lord paying such a price for me. Forget about the person sitting alongside you, you. Why would he do such a thing? Maybe you might start thinking to yourself, I'm not worthy, I'm not worth it. 
Well, the first question, the first statement you made there is correct. You're not worthy, but you are worth it. God says you're worth it. You may not think of yourself as being worth it, but God says that you're worth it. And we read uh, perhaps in uh, uh, verse 10. Let's read verse 10 and 11, shall we? Isaiah 53, verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, that you and I. The Lord looked beyond Calvary and saw the seed of Christ, not the seed in the natural uh, 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 lineage, but in the spiritual, because we're born by the Spirit. Now, the Scripture says, the seed of the Word of God is now uh, uh, generating life in us. And so we're of the seed of Christ now. And he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And then we read, he shall see the travail of his soul. It's like God looked down upon Calvary and saw Christ on the, on the cross there, and it says there, and he shall be satisfied. He will be satisfied with that. It's almost beyond comprehension that the Lord would be satisfied with seeing such a thing. Why? Because he didn't just see that. He saw beyond that. He saw a meeting such as this. People that are transformed by the power of God, that are translated out of the kingdom of death and placed and elevated into the kingdom of eternal life and uh, 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 translated into a kingdom, as the Bible says in the book of Revelation, where there's no more tears, there's no more sickness, there's no more sadness, there's no more injury, there's no more uh, 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 striving and, uh, and a- anxiety and worrying and all of those things. There's no more death, the Bible says, but only life eternal. Praise the Lord. We see a wonderful story, I believe, in that parable there, just two verses in the Gospel of Matthew there that relate to so much that it can mean to us. And I believe that we should do, we do well. At times such as we're going to have in a moment where we, we partake of our communion there, remember. We remember Christ. We remember Him on the cross. And we remember when we were first enlightened. We remember how that felt to be transformed out of our fears and our anxieties and our, our uncertainties and be given the life and light of Christ. All the people said, Amen. Amen. 